Welcome back to It Is What It Is. I'm Corbin. I'm Anthony. And today, I hope we have a really interesting conversation as we talk about uh, what makes good players good and good teams good. And likewise, I guess bad teams bad. Maybe we'll finally get to the pit of why the Knicks are so terrible. <laughs> I don't know if that abyss will ever be completely plumbed. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many problems there. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you would talked about uh, what makes good players good, and you've had a pretty interesting theory uh, that we've talked about in the past, and uh, I think it's time to introduce our podcast video cast audience to your ideas. All right, finally, a platform for me. <laughs> um. I, I think I was listening to one of the Knicks podcasts and then uh, I'll not lock on NBA um, Zach Lowe, who most of the time doesn't say anything worthwhile, but he clued me in this one time and they were having a discussion about uh, what makes good players good. And they were talking about it from a stats angle, but then I had this like epiphany that um, the thing that I think makes someone really good at a game like basketball is their decision-making ability. Um, I think this is where the stats came in, was like uh, there was this one stat, and it's probably value over replacement player. Most of the league, uh, and this is like players not in the top 30 or top 100, they kind of like clump together in terms of skill. And now there's like specialized skill sets and stuff. But uh, when you look at like the value that they add to a team over a replacement player, it's not tremendous because those replacement players can come in and basically do the same thing, unless you're just like super elite at one sort of thing. And so I started thinking that if, if like the value that they add isn't all that much, what is something kind of intangible that is recognized in all players across the spectrum? And that came, that led me to believe that decision-making was that thing. It was like, most players in the like 100 to 500 uh, range of like ranking probably don't have that decision making. And it's like those who one get to dis- distinguish themselves as good decision makers, but then kind of maintain that high decision making ability. That's when they start moving up to the next tier. And so you see like all the greats have that like all across throughout history, but then also you can look at the modern game and say like, LeBron, known for his decision-making. Even Kevin Durant, who scores, you know, 30 to 40 a game. Harden, actually, is probably a better example, who scores so much a game and is averaging, like, nearly a triple-double, has to have great decision-making in order just to be able to get a shot off against so many different appointments. And that's kind of where the crux of this discussion lies. Yeah, and I think this is really timely because uh, basketball is back. <laughs> the bubble is live, and, and we're past the scrimmages into to actual games that count, count now. And in um, one of the first games of this bubble season, or restart, was the marquee matchup between the Los Angeles Clippers and the Los Angeles Lakers. And in listening to the um, commentary on that game, one thing that was pointed out, and for those of you that haven't watched, spoiler alert, it's a freaking great game. <laughs> it nail biter. It goes back and forth and some really good basketball. But it comes down to a last minute uh, shot. And uh, the Clippers have a chance to tie it and, and have control of the clock. And Kawhi Leonard is typically a great closer. He's just got this uh, incredible reputation for knowing what to do and when to do it and seizing the opportunity at the end of a game to close out. And in this particular instance, 
Uh, it was pointed out that he had a step on LeBron, had a chance to drive to the basket for an easy two to tie the game, and instead like spun around and threw it over a defender or two to uh, Paul George out on the three-point line, and they ended up having to move the ball around and the shot was missed. So uh, it came down to basically a bad decision from a reputably great player who's known for making good decisions. Um, and I think it stood out because he had this reputation and, and a history of of being such a good decision maker. And Kawhi Leonard is arguably one of the top three players in the NBA um, in both both offense and defense. He's just an all-around phenomenal player. Um, contrasting with LeBron, who's probably also considered one of the top three players. Some A lot of people still put him at number one in the league. And uh, he has really solid decision-making skills, as you've already brought up. So um, it was interesting to me that it kind of came down to a battle of two superstars who are known for their all-around ability, but what sets them above other well-rounded NBA stars seems to be their ability to make good decisions when it matters. And the loss in this particular instance seems directly the result of a bad decision. You can also see that play into effect on the opposite. When you watch bad players do things, and it's almost always like JaVale McGee, right? Who like gets lambasted oh, for his God. like really, <laughs> I know his poor decision making. And maybe he's not a, the worst decision maker for most moments of the game, but like you know, he basically made a early career on the fact that he made like really bad decisions at like you know really opportune moments, and not like they cost him his team the game or anything. But um, you know, trying to like dunk from the free throw line <laughs> on a fast break <laughs> will definitely get you some notoriety, even if you can do it most of the time. I just want to put out there, JaVale McKee's never going to hear this, but I just want to put this out there. I really, really like JaVale McGee. I've enjoyed his career, and when he was in the contest early on, um, I just thought he was phenomenal. So I've always kind of rooted for him, but there are some uh, rough highlights for sure, where where he's out in the middle of the floor, falling on his face, throwing the ball across half court, and, and it's uh, maybe bad decision making. <laughs> So I, ha- I have something that might lead us into the, the next part of this, this idea, which is that um, I think like to JaVale McGee's credit early in his career, I mean, basically the only reason why I brought him up is because he's like famous for the shacking a fool segment. Um, and so like early in his career, he was hyped as this like big who could do it all. Right. So he kind of had to have like, he took these chances that, probably wouldn't have been allowed if he was like a five, 10 year veteran at that time. Right. But he was in his first couple of years. Right. So he's trying to test the waters and he also thinks he can do more than he can, but he didn't really like uh, accept his role yet. And the reason why I think that he's had such a long career is because he finally like started to accept what role he thought that he could fit into best while still giving himself enough creative liberties to be able to, or like decision-making ability that where he found that a happy medium between like a really limited role and uh, being able to do something that he wanted to do. And I think back to uh, J.R. Smith too, who like when he, he's had moments like the Knicks is a perfect example, actually, because he's had moments where he was like the second or third option on the team and the team was horrible. Um, and his decision-making was horrible. But when he was like the fifth option on the team, you know, sixth man of the year candidate, um, his decision making was basically limited to the role that he was given. And he really flourished within that. 
And I think he was successful with Cleveland because LeBron basically like forced him into this role permanently. And he like, you know, essentially was able to, to work within his own system there. And so the, the topic being these, uh, this idea that roles play a, a great value to good teams and also bad teams, really bad teams. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's really interesting. And I, there was something implicit in there about how uh, with gained experience in the NBA, you become a better decision maker or with a restricted role, the decisions that you're asked to make are more within your purview. So, um, you know, it, it, that's a really interesting point about each person can p- kind of maybe play up to a certain uh, level before the decisions get to be um, maybe too rushed or too intense for them to make it uh, the right decision, or they're too new because they haven't experienced enough of them. And so maybe some of what gives superstars their reputations is they enter the league as already having developed that decision-making kind of ability. I think of Chris Paul uh, as a great example of that. Of course, LeBron and some of the people that joined as high schoolers but still seemed really mature. And so we're kind of able to launch their careers at a younger age. Uh, Whereas other players maybe take longer to develop. They go through four years of college and they're three or four years into the league and in their late 20s before they demonstrate that they've got this decision-making ability and then they are actually really good contributors to a team but i I want to just uh go back to our conversation from last week a little bit and throw in some philosophy that we can then kind of wrap into this idea of decision making as part of what makes a player good and a team good so we had talked about virtue from aristotle's point of view and that being uh the skill the Kind of ability to aim at a function and perform it well. And uh, one of the virtues or one of the facets that makes someone virtuous is the use of phrenesis. And phrenesis is the Greek term for something that's kind of untranslatable, but something like practical wisdom, the ability to make good decisions in the context, to know what the circumstances are and be sensitive to those circumstances and make the right choice. So that fits in right with what we're talking here about being a good decision maker makes you a good player. Uh, Phrenesis is kind of this technical term, Greek, Greek borrowed term to maybe capture this idea of something intangible, but super crucial. And just to route it back to basketball, Phrenesis for Aristotle was so important because the reason to be virtuous, to be a good human being, And that's not just ethics again. Remember, this is all skills. Uh, The reason to develop your skills is so that you're a good member of the community. Uh, Humans are not solitary creatures. We don't do everything on our own. We we work with others. And as a result, there's a lot of complex situations where we have to navigate different interests, different goals. And being able to decide what to prioritize and how to achieve those goals requires good decision making. So being... Um, sensitive to phrenesis and the wisdom of making a good decision makes you a good citizen in the political community, the polis. So that being said, being a good decision maker in basketball would seem to make you a good teammate and help bring the team together. And if you have a bunch of good decision makers, then you're developing a community uh, that seems to be functioning well. So I started laughing in the middle of your description because I was like really desperately wanting to add a joke but i didn't want to like ruin your 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 train of thought and i was just when you brought up phrenesis i was like so uh pushing the basketball with your mind right <laughs> right <laughs> right 
No, but I think uh, I think what you said was really well put because one, it ties into the conversation that we had last week, and uh, which I hadn't actually made that connection before. So it like also really helps explain why um, why some people can develop like maybe they have the same athletic ability for like you know you you basically are building to your athletic prime into your like late twenties, early thirties. You have this like it's pretty widely recognized that you have this like four or five year window of like being in your athletic prime. And uh, everybody hopes that you like players can capitalize on that um, by like adding that extra aspect of decision-making. And I think what you're saying, it it explains why guys like Chauncey Billups who had like all the talent in the world early, but didn't really put it together until they were like 26, 27 um, versus guys like LeBron who had it all kind of together early, but even still he had to develop that decision-making at an NBA level mm-hmm. because I think this is a really good example. Um, even LeBron who came into the league averaging 25 points, five rebounds and five assists a game, his team was terrible his first and second season. And then he finally, I think it was the third season, right? That he made the playoff. I think that's right. For the first time. And, uh, like, even though he came into the league lighting it up, he still wasn't ready to, and the Cavs weren't ready to le- to hit their mark yet um, because he didn't really have NBA-level decision-making. He was still putting it together, and it took a couple of years to get to that point. Um, and, you know, Chris Ball, I think... I think the thing that catches everybody agreed that LeBron should be like this all world talent. Uh, but the thing that catches people by surprise, like Chris Paul, his rookie year, um, Luka Doncic, his rookie year is that they came in maybe with higher, better decision-making abilities than, than they were expected to have at that age, especially Chris Paul, who was rookie of the year. And he was like the, the fourth pick in the draft versus uh, Andrew Bogut or Marvin Williams. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I think, uh, first of all, I like that you used hitting the mark just because that is a nice tie-in to our archery example from last week. But um, the uh, point, that, <laughs> right, uh, the point that I think this leads to is that not just individuals need to be good decision makers, but the team needs to come together with kind of a a good synergy and a and a good um, understanding of who they are and how they operate. And we talked about this a little bit earlier today. Having a team identity, uh, you know, to me, that's always seemed like a, a silly kind of narrative. Who cares what your team identity is? You've got 10 players, 12 players yeah. that can play basketball, and that's what matters. But um, Right. Totally makes sense. <laughs> but we're finding that maybe it does matter. Uh, maybe, maybe knowing who you are and how you fit helps you to excel and make those decisions that work for that community, which is the team. I think that what you said right there is is kind of like the the central point of this whole theory, which is that like uh, we don't typically think of this, but we think maybe the NBA as a community, right? But we don't ever think of a, an individual team as a community. And just like you were saying, like the only way a community functions to uh, the best of whatever it's going to function is is if there's like an inherent set of rules or, you know, or norms or whatever that, that everybody buys into to become like the ideal citizens of that community. 
And uh, right before we jumped on, we were having this conversation about um, about what if teams, like an individual, an individual team was a community. Then when you put the decision-making structure in there, and you know the conversation, this is where JaVale McGee comes back into it, is like, if there's not a set hierarchy, especially when it comes to team norms, JaVale McGee is going to, you know, end up on the top one of Shaq and a fool every week. <laughs> but, but when that structure is there, you know, he's able to do what looks like so much more. He's not like a better player than he was. He's certainly like probably a worse player because his athleticism, athleticism has declined. But now he's got like a set of rules that he's bought into and he's making it work for him and his teammates are making it work for them and they're all functioning at the core. Yeah, yeah. And I do just have to bail out Javel again uh, in the sense that, you know, he probably played 30 minutes on those nights that he makes Shaq in a fool and, and 28 of them are great. <laughs> uh, so yeah. what's interesting is that when you make a bad decision, it can have such a huge and lasting impact, uh, which is why good decision making is so important and being part of a, a community, a, um, a responsible part of a community is, is such an important facet, whether that's in life or on a basketball team. I have to add, I like JaVale McGee too, and I don't mean to pick on him, but it's just such a low-hanging fruit. I just, right, you know, right. I'm hungry, it's morning, I haven't had my breakfast. Here's the low-hanging JaVale apple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we've been given so many from Shaq. The Otto Porter freezing on defense and forgetting that he's guarding somebody, or J.R. Smith walking over to shake hands with Jason Terry on the bench while the game is still going on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will say we're right about 20 minutes, and I think we've wrapped this up really nicely. If you want more, I'm sorry, but it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs>